0: There are great things in the worship and I just want you to carry on in that frame of mind that today's the day. You know, today, if you hear his voice, don't harm your heart. Today is the day of breakthrough. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day where God can meet with you. You can hear something and that's going to lead to experiencing something and transformation. Today is the day. For freedom, today is the day to be walking in the truth of what you heard in that prophetic word—that the night has gone, gone the day has come. Amen. Um, it says in this chapter, "Wake up, O sleeper! You know, Christ is going to shine on you today." Okay, we need to. There's something about expectation, and you can say faith is expectation. You can come and say, "Actually, I'm expecting God to do something in me. And I don't want to be the same after this. Something's going to happen in my life." If you've been around here for any length of time, we, we kind of repeat the same three things. <laughs> one of them is intimacy, yeah, one of them is identity, <clears throat> and one of them is impact. That we repeat those in various ways, in various preachers. The songs are about that, the preachers are about that. And that's deliberate because culture... Is created through repetition. And before I met Rochelle, I had a particular culture around Christmas, and it was—I got it because it was repeated by everybody in the family, and that's what we did. One of the cultural values around Christmas for me, as a UK person, English person, was that the—the the meal, the main Christmas meal, was not the centre attraction. That was one of my cultural values, because it was important the turkey and is important. But there were other things that were more important, and that was for me, which was repeated in our culture, was the sweets and the peanuts. And as a kid, it was the cans of Coke. And the fact that at Christmas you got a can of Fanta or a can of Coke. We never got cans normally. Often we would be sharing a bottle of lemonade. Um, between all of us, you know, it was kind of a, the trick was you got to drink first, <laughs> which is what we used to fight about, and and so Christmas was about the Radio Times magazine, and yeah, it was about who got to underline the programmes first because there was no video recorder. so it was who could bag the best first, and you know, and it was about the Saturday or Sunday Christmas afternoon James Bond film and eating all morning, then eating a lunch, and then watching James Bond, the Queen, Top of the Pops Christmas special. Okay. So, so these were all things, and they were my culture, because they repeated every year. And and then Rachel and I got together, and, and I went across to another culture that repeated different things. Now suddenly, TV's not that important. I'm a bit lost. Where's the special magazine with the special programs? And that's not there, because it's not part of... The primary thing of Christmas. Um, the meal was really important suddenly. It's a two-hour, two and a half hour moment of, of, of eating and celebrating, special wine, special food. And that's the centerpiece of family eating, not watching Top of the Pops. And yeah, and my watch would say two o'clock. I know what everybody's now doing in the UK, they're watching their, the, queen has, the Queen has finished speaking. Uh, we're, we're waiting for the Christmas number one, and, and that was in the days before you knew—you didn't know what the Christmas number one was going to be because it wasn't X Factor. You know, it's a different—it's a different day. It meant something, and and my mind would be in my other culture. This isn't Christmas, and and Christmas Eve would be when you open the presents. Now that no no no, that's not Christmas. That's, a, that's not my culture. We open Christmas—we open presents Christmas morning, and then we open the fanta. And then we eat peanuts all morning (laughs) And so culture gets created through repeating it, repeating it, repeating it Now my culture is, actually it would be a French Christmas culture And I don't understand English culture of Christmas Because I've come to embrace through repetition and enjoyment another culture And that's why we repeat the same things again and again because culture is those things that we learn, and we learn to value them. Mm. And through repetition on intimacy, repetition of identity of sons and daughters and adoption, repetition of, we are going to have cultural impact, community impact, we are going to bless our area. And they, at first, can feel really, really uncomfortable and unnatural yes. until they become part of us mm. and it just becomes the way we think. Of course we've got intimacy with God. Of course we sons and daughters. Of course society has to be transformed through a believing community. And I'm going to read some verses this morning. And I believe that these verses contain identity, or they contain intimacy, they contain <coughs> identity, and they contain impact. Yeah. And through looking at them, there's going to be Freedom. <coughs> And so in these verses, there's going to be some really um, huge implications that Paul is going to be looking at in terms of the people who understand intimacy and identity are going to behave in a certain way, and they're going to value certain things. And they can be um, they can be really tough things for us to hear, so we need to first to understand intimacy. But I will read them so you get the sense of where we're going. So in chapter 4... Of Ephesians. We start at verse 23. So we talked last week about. Be made new. And the attitude of your minds. And then he says. Put on your true self. This is an identity. Created to be like God. In true righteousness. And holiness. And then he says. Therefore. In verse 25. Therefore each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. We are all members of one body. In your anger do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who's been stealing must no longer steal but must work doing something useful with their hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come, from, come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for the building up of others, according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not breathe the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to each other, forgiving each other, just as Christ forgave you. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be um, obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, greedy person, such person as an idolater, has any inheritance the kingdom of Christ and of God. And so we can read these amazing verses, and if we don't sit them on a foundation of intimacy and identity, what the human mind tends to read is a whole list of do's and don'ts, and a whole list of new rules. So we have to make sure that these incredible standards, these incredible high standards of our holy set-apart people are sitting squarely and concretely on a foundation of first of all intimacy and then identity and then it's going to have impact as we live out a holy life that doesn't even have a hint of certain things. So in chapter 5 Paul says, Follow God's example therefore as dearly loved children. Listen, you don't live right in order to get right with God. The, this list of things that Paul is talking about, these valuable things, are not laws that you do in order to win God's approval, win God's acceptance, win God's love, win, win God's um, um, kindness over your life. He says, as dearly loved children, we don't do something in order to get something. It's so important because people can have encounters with Jesus and meet him and get saved and get born again. And then they can read a thing like this and think, if I keep all these rules of the way I speak and what I look at, what I I do, then somehow I'm going to keep God's approval. If I don't do them all perfectly, then God's going to stop calling me a dearly loved child. And actually Paul says, as a dearly loved child. As a dearly loved child. As somebody who... Christ has shown ultimate affection and extravagant love for as someone who is highly valued already. As someone who God says, for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross and scorned its shame. As a dearly loved child, therefore, here are some things to live out. But we've got to know we're accepted at the beginning. Otherwise we get into this treadmill of religious activity, of do's and don'ts, in order to try and achieve a status that we've already been given as a gift. There is only one way for intimacy with God. There's only one door to go through, and that's accepting the finished work of Jesus Christ. Anything else won't get you there. Jesus says, I'm the way, I'm the truth. Truth means there's nothing hidden with you, I'm just telling you as it is, and I'm the life. There is no other way to the Father except Through me. There isn't. And so Jesus makes a way for us to come home and become dearly loved children. So it's a revelation of his love and it's a revelation of his acceptance and it's a revelation of his goodness that provokes us to want to live morally high standards. It's understanding who we are that leads to that. And that leads on to the next thing. Identity. So intimacy, we are children, we've come home, we are lived, we're set apart as a result of God's loving kindness for us. And then he talks about these identity things, that we are a holy people. He says, because these are improper for God's holy people. Holy means other than, set apart. It's what you are if you're a believer. You've been set apart from the masses, from the crowd, and you've become a new person in a new family, in a new tribe. As God's holy people. He says this in verse in, in chapter 4. Put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. When Paul. When Paul ever wants to call us to um, choices of holiness and kingdom morality, he never ever appeals to the law. He always appeals to the new identity. When he wants to deal with sexual immorality in Corinthians, he doesn't appeal to the law. He says, don't you know that you're a temple of the Holy Spirit? He always appeals to... The, the new standards that grace sets because you're in a new family, you're an adopted son and daughter, you're a royal priesthood, you're a holy people, you've been set apart for God. He always appeals to identity. He never appeals to the law. The law, throughout the whole of the Old Testament, the law's function was to show the holiness of God, but it was also to show the deceitfulness of the human heart and the inability of the human heart to keep the law. It was always to be like an MOT of the heart that revealed the fact actually we'd fallen short of the glory. The law was good. (laughs) There was nothing wrong with the law, but if the law could impart life, then Christ died for nothing. And so Paul never appeals to the law in order to live the new holy life. He always appeals to the new birth. He always appeals to the spirit And he always appeals to the union that the believer has in Jesus Christ. He never appeals to rules and regulations. In Peter it says, be holy as God is holy. Here he's saying, be like God (laughs) in true righteousness and holiness. That must mean it's possible. Otherwise, the gospel is like an eagle flying over a pig's head and saying, Fly because I fly. <laughs> and the pig can say, But I can't fly because I'm not an eagle. Well, no, no, try. <laughs> try and just flap your, your ears and <laughs> twist your tail enough, get enough rotations, and you could soar with me, because I'm an eagle. It's so amazing up here. And God says, Be holy as I am holy. Be like God in true righteousness and true purity. Put on the new self. Something radical and phenomenal happens in the new birth. Something extravagant. It's not that you were walking along in your lives if you were a Christian this morning and you discovered some new rules. Or you just bolted on some new moral conduct. Or you thought, um, I just come along on to church on a Sunday because there's something good about singing together. It's funny, in the world there is something called the Atheist Church. <laughs> and they do sing songs. They sing any songs that people like to sing. And they do take up an offering. And they do have an inspirational talk. And they do eat together after. Because this guy has realised there are things that the church does that actually human beings love. Human beings love singing together. They love hearing people communicate something inspirational. They love giving into something that's bigger than themselves, for the poor and to love people. And there's something magnificent about eating together. But they have not got the new birth. And they have not got the new self. So it's just a pe- bunch of people saying through our own determination effort we're just going to be a little different and we're going to find strength together. The gospel gives you a brand new heart, a brand new beginning. You are in the very core of who you are the very righteousness of God. Really. <laughs> if you go, if God, when God looks at you he says you've got the very righteousness of God. You are spotless and pure and blameless and holy in God. All happens in an instant. You get given it. See, if you don't believe that's who you are, then righteous living is just you performing and doing your best. Seriously, if you don't really believe that the core of who you are, you're a brand new creation with a brand new self and a brand new identity and a brand new righteousness and you are holy, then what you'll do is you'll grit your teeth, have white knuckles and you'll try and perform like a believer when you already are. Because identity is so important. It appeals to our identity. This is who you are Therefore, live like this. This is who you are, therefore have this attitude. And so he says, I don't want even a hint. Not even a hint of sexual immorality. He's appealing to the believer and saying... Listen, it's not about how far to the edge can you get without falling over. I don't even want a hint of it in your lives. He appeals and says, because of this new identity, you don't even have to have a hint of anything that looks like darkness. And he comes on later on and says, you were once darkness, but now you are light. Live as children of light he appeals to identity so the law grace, it talks about in Titus grace teaches us to say no so grace isn't license He says in Romans 6, shall we go on sinning so that grace might abound or grace might increase? And Paul says, no, God forbid, one translation says. (laughs) Don't you know that you've been crucified with Christ? Don't you know that you died to the old man? (laughs) Grace sets radically high standards. The early church fell into a number of heresies: um, heresies, um, false teaching, ungodly teaching, anti-gospel teaching. One of them was legalism, which you had to earn your way up to Christ's finished work. And the other one was license, or well, since I'm accepted, I can do whatever I want. Or there's a Greek thing antinomianism, living as if the Lord doesn't, living as if there are no standards license Just do what I want, when I want. But I can always fall back on the grace of God. And Paul is saying, no, no, no. Not even a hint of sexual immorality. Not even a hint. Set high standards. Mm. He says, have nothing to do with fruitless deeds of darkness. And that's because we're not half dark and half light. (laughs) You are children of light. We're not shadowy anymore. We never were. We were just dark in darkness. Now we are children of light. That's who we are. That's who we are. See, we were once in darkness, it says, and we once lived our lives stumbling in the dark, not knowing up from down, not knowing to a certain extent, the effects and the dangers of sin. And it's like we (coughs) put our hands in meat grinders and then didn't understand why our fingers were all chewed up and mangled. We lived in the darkness, letting the world that knows nothing about living teach us how to live. Mm -hmm. But now, we're children of light. We walk in the light. And so he goes on then to say, as children of light, we're going to have an impact on the world. And so verse, he says, find out what pleases the Lord in verse 10, have nothing to do with fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It's even shameful. It's shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible. And everything that is illuminated becomes a light. So that's chapter 5 and verse 10. He says, now you've got this new identity. You're children of light. And now your role in the world is to live as children of light, to expose darkness. And by expose darkness, I I do not believe it means to be finger-pointing morality police, word police in every environment we're in. I don't believe it means everywhere we go, we point out The faults and the broken spots and the darkness and the things in people's lives, like with some morality beliefs. I think we model, through being the children of light, light that shines in the darkness through the way that we live. And Paul says this in verse 15, he says, Be careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. This is in chapter 5 again. The days are evil, therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Church, we mustn't have a bunker mentality either about the world. Because that's the other way. We can say we're children of light, so we're going to separate from everything that's darkness. This being careful is not about fearful paranoia as we walk through life. It's not about the fear of some friends invite us in the evening and they say, do you want to come out for an after work drink? And we think, no, that's the world. I'm I'm going to separate myself from darkness. And we all know what can happen when people go out in the evening and drink. I'm separate, I'm holy, I'm distinct, I will remove myself from everything. It's not about finding a little bunker and hiding in and saying, I'm just going to hide here until this is all over. Light is superior to darkness. Yeah. Our daughter used to say when we, support, she said, switch off the darkness. In other words, switch on the light. <laughs> light is superior to darkness. When believers begin to shine in their intimacy and new identity, it will create light everywhere and people will see the light that you carry. Yeah. And even in the midst of darkness, there are opportunities. He says, make the most of every opportunity. There are opportunities, there are doorways, there are feasts prepared for you in the midst of everything. You might be at work at the moment and the the, the work situation is run really according to principles of darkness. Maybe there's exploitation and godlessness and maybe there's not fair pay and right pay. But Paul said, be careful how you negotiate and navigate that, but there's opportunities in it. There are doorways and there are feasts set before you to shine. And I think one of the ways that we shine, he says it later on, he says, in thankfulness. He says, nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. giving. And he says earlier on, let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. One of the great ways of shining wherever we are is to watch what we say and how we say it. Become a student of your words. Jesus says the overflow of your heart comes out in your mouth. What you really believe about God and about yourself and about other people and about your circumstances will be highlighted by the way you speak about them. And by the way you talk about them. Thanksgiving and gratitude are powerful ways of light shining into darkness. That when everybody else is bad mouthing the management, actually you look for something positive and thankful to serve. When everybody else is using gossip as a way. Which we do in Britain because we don't like confrontation. We really shy away from it. So what we do is we find... Uh, we join with other people who, who share our heart of discontent. And we think by sharing our heart of discontent we've solved the issue. Actually you no, know, we've just created a faction and a bubble of discontent within a within an institution. Godliness is actually, I'm going to speak... I'm going to speak grace and in, in private with people and actually I might go and speak to management about where I'm up to and how I'm feeling. And so that shines light into darkness. We have to look at our words and saying: are my words building up? Are my words edifying? Are my words strengthening? Are my words releasing grace or am I speaking Discontent? Am I speaking my disappointment? Am I speaking this? Because you can shift darkness through your words. You can switch on the light through the words that you say. The simple things that you speak about. Life and death is in the power of the tongue. And those who love it enjoy its fruit. Those who love what? Those who understand the revelation that what we say has an effect. That we can release death into atmospheres and an environments and we can release life into atmospheres and environments. Life and death is in the power of the tongue. We can steer our whole body towards life through what we say. We can steer our whole body towards death by what we say. And so, there's this powerful command. Watch what you say. Don't even speak about what people do in darkness. Don't even speak about it. And again, it's not out of law, it's out of new identity. A new identity produces power to make new choices. It's not biting your lip, stoically, Having white knuckles, I'm going to really try. It's recognising who you are. You are children of light. You are those who can speak with new tastes and new desires and new outlooks because you've come from a place where you were an orphan. Now you've become a son and daughter of the king. You've got a new perspective on everything. He says that actually the fruit of being those who shine, we live as children of light, for the fruit of light consists of goodness, righteousness, and truth. In other words, we bear the fruit of the good, the right, and the true. That's who we are in every environment, in every atmosphere. Tim had a prophetic word last week, and he said, "Sometimes you can hear these truths... And it can be like a signpost on a road. And it says, go this way. And and as you go that way, you realise, actually, that's who I am. I've got a new identity. I am a child of light. I'm right with the Father. I've got intimacy and connection. But I'm not feeling it yet. I'm not feeling it yet. But as you walk along that road and you meditate on truth... And you meditate on God's assessment. And God's definition of who you are. You begin to line up your emotions. Start to feel it. I am filled with the very fullness of God. I've got the very righteousness of Christ. I am righteous. I am holy. And Then you begin to manifest fruit. In line with who you really are. And sometimes the reason why we can find ourselves flirting around with the darkness. Is because as it were. There can be baited hooks that come down and they're all around us and they say you can overcome your loneliness, your fear, your anxiety and just take the hook, bite the hook and it just seems to be the quickest and easiest way out of loneliness and pain and and, and our longings and overcoming maybe our disappointments and our discouragements and sometimes it's about our identities and how we see ourselves and what we think about ourselves Sometimes it can just be our fear of the future. So we're terrified of the future. We're looking for comfort. And next thing you know, we've had one drink. It's become two drinks. It's become three drinks. And the baited hook, we think that's going to bring us the peace that we're looking for. And we just have to remind ourselves, again and again and again, I will not take that hook I will not put my hand in a meat grinder thinking that's going to heal my soul. I'll not go as close to the edge as I possibly can to see how near I can get without falling. I am a child of light. I've got a brand new identity. I'm overcoming temptation, not because of the fear of the law or the fear of separation, but out of who I really am. This is who I am. I'm called to shine. I'm called to shine in darkness. I'm called to bring impact. And before I say that sentence that won't edify and won't build up, we step back and think, I'm a child of light. I'm called to edify. I'm called to build up. I'm called to release the peace of God. I'm called to shine in this environment. I want to speak words that bring life and joy and peace and the kingdom. And so we step back. And when we make a mistake, and we take that hook, and whatever that hook is, the Bible says, "No temptation has seized you except what is common to men and women." <laughs> These hooks are common to everyone, and sometimes we find ourselves like a fish. We've taken the hook, and we come to the father <clears throat> and say, "The hook in my mouth has not changed the fact I am still <clears throat> loved." Thank you. I'm Thank still you. loved. Yes. Yes. Thank you. One John, the writer John says, I write these things to you so that you won't sin. But if anyone sins, if anyone has a hook in their mouth, you have an advocate with the Father. You have a a great lawyer who will plead your case and say, as it were, because of the finished work, Father, they've got a hook in their mouth but I've already taken the punishment for that stupid moment. <laughs> and the hook comes out and you say, let's go again. Mm-hmm. Thank you. And even when you find yourself, and when it says so that you will not sin, probably the most helpful translation for that is will not habitually sin, will not continue in sin. And maybe this morning you're thinking, actually I, I know that in my speech or in my words or in my deeds. I have been not living as a child of light. I have been habitually sinning. I have found myself caught in the trap. I have found myself with my hand in the meat grinder. I'm chewed up. I have found myself with multiple hooks in my mouth. You have to come on the basis of the gospel. You have to come to God and just say to him, Father, Father. I'm waking up right now to who I really, really am. I am a child of light. I'm going to shine. I am adopted. I am your beloved. I'm putting on the new self. I'm reminding myself of who I really am this morning. I'm coming home to you, Father. Just like in Luke 15... When the son wakes up to his senses and realizes how hungry he is and how awful his situation is. He's got no food, no shelter, and he's eating pig pods. He wakes up and thinks, how many of my father's hired hands have plenty to eat? And he comes home, and as the father sees him, he comes running to him and reinstates him. Not because the son manages to plead his case. Actually, the son wants to come home as a slave, as a servant. but The father elevates him right to the place of sonship. Puts the ring of identity on his feet, on his hand. He puts the cloak on his back. puts fresh sandals on his feet and says, This son of mine was dead. Now he's alive. That is how God will treat every person who wakes up to the reality that they've been living in the pig pen and they want to come home. Not with one single plea of their own, but because that Jesus died for you and his shed blood was shed for you. That's how you come home. So I'm not going to ask you to be I just want us to close our eyes before God. And, And you'll know in your own heart when there's been areas where you think, actually, I have been living more in darkness than in light in that area. Or I've been playing near the edge and I've toppled over. Or I have been putting my hand in the meat grinder. Or my mouth and my words have not been... The words of thankfulness, but I've been full of things I wish I've stories I've told, jokes I've done. Just come to the Father. Just draw a line in the sand today, and say I'm going to live according to my true identity. I'm coming home.